So good evening, everyone. Tonight I'd like to talk about cultivating the radiant heart. And this, I'd like to start with a, a reading from the Tibetan Book of the Dead, but I think we find this in many discourses in the Buddhist teaching, Buddha's teachings. O nobly born, you of glorious origins, remember your radiant true nature, the essence of mind. Trust it, return to it, it is home. Remember your radiant true nature. The radiant true nature being the essence of mind. Mind in Pali, citta also means heart. Oftentimes, in uh, many of the traditions uh, in India, when someone talks about the mind, um, they point to the heart. So it's a it's the same thing when we talk about the mind. We're talking about the heart, and it also means that. Uh, this idea of the heart-mind is that it stands without props, without support. So we don't need the ego to experience uh, this sense of radiance or any kind of um, attachment to anything. It's actually uh, an inner freedom that we can reacquaint ourselves with and wake up to. This says, trust it, return to it, it is home. Home is what? It's it's our radiant true nature. But it's something that we experience through the body and the breath, which is something we've been practicing these uh, uh, last couple of days. It seems like I've been here a long time, but maybe it's just been a day. (coughs) We've, We've been seasoning the the um, pot of our collective experiences so that we can rest and know and have our hearts soften and shine. And that's the, the, the quality of radiance where we're really talking about this extension, this extended warmth that is home. It's an awareness of our basic goodness So it's not something we have to manufacture or try to improve. It's actually something we open to and rest in and take refuge in. So it's a boundless space of awareness that can be pervaded with warmth. The qualities of radiance, as I see it, I looked up the word radiance in the what do you do now? You don't go to the dictionary anymore. You go to Wikipedia or whatever, whatever it is on the, on the website. And it said from the noun point of view that it's a, a point or object from which light or heat radiates. A, a point or object from which light or heat radiates. So there's a sense of warmth in this radiance. 
it's not, it, it could be light, but it's more something that I think tends to be felt and, and not always seen. Sometimes we can look at some of the images of religious figures and you see the big halo that's around their heads. And we see that with some of the Buddhist, uh, Buddhist images as well. Some attempt to show that this sense of radiance is not something that simply belongs to him, but is something that naturally is an offering in the world. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a luminosity there that is um, generous. And it's pervading, and it spreads and extends as if it's an offer. So I think the natural nature of radiance, if we look at it in this tradition, is that it's warm and generous. It has that quality of loving kindness. Dr. Maya Angelou, who just passed away recently, the beautiful poet, she says, love has no boundaries. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls, and arrives at its destination full of hope. That's the boundless heart. That's a heart of radiance. Now we know people from being touched by religious leaders or teachers or um, pets or whoever it might be. We, we know the quality of this. We've tasted it. We've had glimpses of it. We've touched it just enough. Otherwise, I don't think we'd be at this retreat because we know there's something that rings us like a bell when we touch into it. I've felt that way when I've read some of these teachings. There's something so pure and right on that it lines me and lights me up. And I feel like I'm tingling with um, a sense of deep knowing that just opened like a flower. And we all have this quality. We know people like Dr. Martin Luther King, who had this quality of presence that was warm and generous and kind. And Gandhi, you know these big figures, Nelson Mandela, who went into prison bitter and came out better. <laughs> you know, his, he was on a long retreat. <laughs> he didn't have the best conditions, but you know, it's like that sometimes. So, you know, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, Thich Nhat Hanh, you can, you get a sense that this is something that comes from the body, the heart-mind that shines, not in the glowing light way, but in warmth and presence and the generosity of heart that we all benefit from. And of course, the Buddha taught from a boundless heart. He offered these teachings from a generous, full place of, um, of loving us. And that will has been turning for a very long time.
Now these qualities of radiance, they're not always so grandiose. I mean, you don't have to be a big uh, spiritual guru in order to, to touch into this. We've all had a sense of it, of this uh, sense of radiance. So I'd like to offer a reflection and invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And coming into awareness of this body sitting here and breathing. We can rest there for a moment. And just notice with your inner experience how what I'm saying is landing within you. How are my words touching your light or your own sense of aliveness? And just for a moment, I'd like for you to recall a moment of loving connection. And I say a moment because sometimes if you, if you think of a person that's loving, sometimes we, we say, well, no, not that person because they're not that way all the time. So we don't want to go there. But I want you to think of moments where you've been deeply touched by a loving connection. And imagine that person in your mind's eye sitting right before you. Right here now. Imagine that person taking joy in you and wishing you well. And feel the happiness and joy between you. And this quality of undivision that's made possible through this connection. Allow your body to feel this directly and your breath to enliven it a bit. And invite yourself to relax in this recollection, in this present moment.
can now allow the image of this person to dissolve. But maintain your connection to the essence of this connection, this contact. And notice the quality of your mind-heart. And you can allow this experience to to extend, if it wants to, beyond your physical body. And maybe connect with those in this room. Staying close to it, but offering it as well. Notice what happens when you consider that offer. simply resting in your awareness. You know, these loving connections help us relax in this body. The reflection of such a connection can actually have the breath slow down and expand. And to the point where we actually can blow our own minds and heart, which has the capacity to stretch and be reshaped. I remember being on retreat once where I was at a concentration retreat and 
I had come from a difficult family visit with my grandson in California, and, and I was really ripped to shreds um, from heartbreak and disappointment when I went on this retreat. And so I had my interview, and I was uh, sitting with, with Gil Fronsdale in Santa Cruz, California. And um, I was describing to him that I had this, that I felt like my heart was broken. And he was very kind and gentle with me, and he sat with, with me while I kind of went through that wave. And I think you might have some sense of what I'm talking about. And then he said, um, don't be afraid of a broken heart. Don't be afraid of a broken heart. Because when your heart breaks, it shatters and it spreads in a lot of different directions. And so it gets to shine <laughs> in a lot of different places than just here. I don't know if it eased my suffering significantly, but it gave me a broader way of holding the experience. Uh, but I think what I recall mostly was, don't be afraid of a broken heart. Because it is the fear of the heart breaking in our interactions that actually blocks our radiance. It blocks that place in us that can only vibe out. Uh, you know, we're in situations where, with my grandson, I can only love him. So as much as all this other stuff was happening, the truth of the matter is I can only love him. So we can think about radiance in this way where it is, you're sending it out as if you're sending it out to your children, your loved ones. I'll share a sutta with you on that a little later. But I imagine that you can only love him. You can only love her. I can only love you. Imagine that being a mantra or a way of walking in the world that keeps you true to a, an intention to cultivate this heart that is beyond our own sense of self, self-interest or disappointment or heartbreak. You can also imagine all the people from many generations, from many um, cultures that have been sitting and sending through their radiant heart love and kindness and compassion throughout the world. I think of the monks sometimes and how this tradition has been able to be maintained through prayer, if you will, or through, through mantras of well-being, the wishing of well-being, the, the generous offer that we be well. The indiscriminate offer. It's not like, well, you and you, but maybe not you. But the, the boundlessness of heart that is extended. That so many people that we may not even know has been nurturing us. We have been benefiting from that offer for a long, long time. I think about all the bodies of the mothers that have carried the children 
and the nurturing that is innate in that holding, in that containment. You know, it's not even about a thought of it. It's just that the body is doing what it does to make um, sustenance available. And it took all of them for us to be here. So there's prayers, there's monks, there's the nurturing that we get from the, the environment, the radiance from our environment that feeds us and allows us to shine. Sometimes it can be something very simple, like I have a cat. The cat, when I'm stroking the fur, goes into this major purring, you know, and I rub along the, the back of my cat and it purrs. And it seems like when my partner's around, it purrs louder, so she gets a little jealous, you know. And I think the cat actually likes that. That you know, it's like it's like he knows. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting getting all the goodies here. <laughs> Only a cat can get away with that. But the immediacy of the touch here's body, the purring from the breath. You know, there's a relationship to the body and breath and to the extending of radiance. It comes from the inside out. The purring is something that is in relationship to contact. And we affect each other that way as well. And this sense of radiance can be far-reaching. I was... Uh, was hosted in um, the Spirit Rock area. I, I taught a, um, a meditation there, a day-long retreat there. And I stayed at this lovely woman's home in Marin. And she had this amazing garden, this amazing garden of flowers. I don't know if I've seen anything quite exquisite until I've walked out here in this garden, but it was this beautiful attention and attending and intention that was in every little detail of this garden. It was just full of love. And you could see it, you could feel it. I closed my eyes and I felt like I had been, I was being bathed in a love that wasn't so much about, it was for me, but it was something that had been planted years ago that's blooming. And the, the effort of that bloom continues to bear fruit that nourishes whoever enters into it. You can't, it's palpable. You can't help but feel the attention and good intention of heart that's there. It had a true radiance to it. And you know, flowers make no promises. They're impermanent. They're not going to bloom forever. But it, I happened to be there at the time when it was in full bloom. All the smells. I was touched by all of that. We're in this body, we are relating to the world through our senses. So, what blocks are radiance, our natural 
propensity to, to be generous of heart, to shine. What blocks your radiance? Sometimes I think what blocks our radiance is that we have a low tolerance for goodness. We fast forward through the experiences of goodness. We're not so in the habit of pausing and, and uh, knowing that territory. We're kind of on the lookout for the next thing. And our nervous system even uh, adjusts to that kind of uh, kind of high volume, loud, what's wrongness, uh, what needs to be fixed, what, what, where's the problem, uh, way of living in our lives. There's so many tiny ways that radiance is experienced, so many, many, many gestures of kindness that comes our way through a glance, a dance, a, a melody, a muse, that we don't pause and allow ourselves to bathe in. So we're not accustomed, we, we're not in the habit of um, making room for the goodness. A lot of times in our meditation practice, when things get still and quiet, you might know that place where the breath gets so uh, in, you can hardly notice where it begins and ends. It's kind of like the same, the beginning and the end of the breath. There's this spaciousness that you open into. And sometimes that can be so frightening, that vastness. So we don't quite know, or we're still working, looking at how we rest in the spaciousness and the boundlessness of our hearts. So in the Heart Sutra it says, one should cultivate a boundless mind toward all beings and friendliness toward the entire world. One should cultivate a boundless mind above, below, and across without obstruction, hatred, or ill will. Standing, walking, sitting, or lying down throughout all of one's waking hours. One should practice this mindfulness This, they say, is the supreme state. Practicing friendliness towards the entire world. And again, the Buddha taught from a place of uh, the boundless heart, the compassionate heart. And he also, he gave quite a bit of weight to uh, heart practices through the... um, you know, there was kind of an equality of the two wings of wisdom and compassion. And he also taught the sublime states 
um, that we can cultivate that um, when we are not bound up with various hindrances, the Brahma-viharas, we can cultivate, for example, loving-kindness or metta, compassion, karuna, sympathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity, upekka. These are practices that help us wake up to the radiance of heart and the boundless skin of awareness. These teachings are practices that are experienced through the body and strengthened through the breath. So we've been preparing for radiance through our attention to body and breath. And metta is a particular practice that can support us in uh, this, the, 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 the extension or the experience and extension of the radiant heart. Now metta is the intentional practice, is an intentional practice that can reveal the true nature of radiance. Metta is a Pali word for loving kindness. And I heard one translation that said it was to grow fat with friendliness. You know, I, I know the grow fat part, but the friendliness is, is a nice addition. I like that. I was just reading an article that's here in the Gaia House magazine, uh, our newsletter that John Peacott wrote, and he said that metta signifies a radiant, expansive emotion of unbounded friendliness towards all living things, including oneself. A radiant, unbounded friendliness. And that's what we're, that's the atmosphere we're looking to create here. That's the atmosphere that we want to create, this friendliness and radiance that then becomes how our invest, what the, 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 the kind of environment that our investigation can arise and fall away in. This kind of basin of loving kindness, of radiance. He says that metta, uh, John Peacock again says, metta is an active friendliness, a genuine and engaged way of knowing the world. So it's not just about sitting on the cushion and radiating out. It's also about our body, our breath, and our relationship to each other, or that element again of sangha knowing that we touch each other through our presence and the quality of our presence. So the quality of metta holds everything without qualification. So again, it's not choosing where it's directed so much. It's a radiance like the high noon sun that touches everything.
And over time, this practice of metta um, cultivates warmth and generosity and goodwill to others. You can almost see metta as a technology. That's kind of a, a funny way to say it. But it's a software upgrade that you pop into the system and then you have to learn how to operate so that it works. Um, and um, you have to stay with it in order to know that it's actually gonna, gonna help you out. So through meta practice, um, we are inclining the mind towards what it already knows. The heart knows radiance. So it's the cloud matter that we need to attend to. We want to warm, find a way to warm our environment again so that it's um, loving enough to embrace whatever arises. So I'd like to share with you the in the Metta Sutta, a couple of suttas. The, um, the Buddha says that the willingness to train our hearts is the highest devotion. The willingness to train our hearts is the highest devotion. And one of the readings says that a bhikkhu who has not developed and, um, and often practice liberation of the heart by love, metta, is easily attacked by non-humans. And I think that means by our own minds. A bhikkhu who has developed, a bhikkhu is you by the way, anyone that shows up on retreat, a bhikkhu who has developed and often practiced liberation of the heart by love is not easily attacked by non-humans. Therefore, bhikkhus, I say, you should train yourself thus. We will develop the liberation of the heart by love. With often, we'll often practice it, make a habit of it, an objective of it, will establish it, and make a thorough effort to become well acquainted with it. This is a life practice. It's not something we're going to do quickly. It's intended to be something that we are present to and paying attention to, as if a garden in our own hearts. And in the Metta Sutta, It says, even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should we cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, 
free from hatred and ill will. The radiant heart can be contagious. I had this funny scene in Italy last year. My partner and I were on vacation, and we missed the boat going back to our hotels. So we were right in this in the Saint is it the Saint Mark's the Square. So we, we went back to this little cafe where they were starting to, to set up a little jazz cafe, evening, early dinner. And I was hoping I could see that jazz ensemble that was forming because I came from a musical family and everybody played uh, uh, an instrument. And I was kind of thinking this would really be nice to hear jazz here in Italy. But we had the, bo- the boat to catch. But anyway, we got to go back to it. So we're sitting there, and we get some water. We have a good half an hour before the next boat. And um, this man, uh, he looked like he might have been from India, and his, his partner strolls by. And he stops in front of our table. This cafe is starting to get real full. He stops in front of the table, and he smells, and he, he asks the guy at the next table from us, where did you get those cigars? And the guy said, oh, I don't know. It was a box of St. Mark something. He said, I think I brought them with me, but here, have one. He says, oh, no, I can't do that. Oh, yes, you must. Oh, no, we can't. Everybody's saying, take the damn, take take the cigar. (laughs) So he took, he gave the guy a cigar. The guy gave him two. He said, I want you to have two. So he said, oh, I can't, and yes, you must, and no, I can't, and oh, yes, you must, and we're, you know. So he took it, and he smelled the cigar, and he just, it just seemed to pause there in this luscious, kind of delicious uh, joy of this offer, because I got the impression that he had been looking for a cigar for a number of hours. So um, a table opened up, and so this couple was able to to get a table. But before the guy sat down, he went and ordered the man that gave the cigar uh, a drink for him and his, his, his lady friend, his partner. So the waiter went to deliver the, the, the water or the drink, and um, and the guy who ordered it went with him with his wife, and he... And the guy said, oh, you shouldn't have. And he said, oh, I must have. And he says, you shouldn't have. And, you know, and, and so he said, okay. And, and this is before the couple sat down. So then they finally went to their table. And um, I said, I'm watching this, and, and there's a beaming on everyone's face from this exchange because it was just all right there as if it was, it really wasn't the jazz scene that I went for it was this interaction, this meta, this generosity of presence and love that was in this interaction. So uh, the couple goes and finally sits down at the table. And so he takes out the cigar again and he smells it and he lights the cigar. Everybody smokes over there. So he takes a puff and he hands it to her and she takes a puff. 
and then she hands it back. And so they're sharing, and they're beaming, and they're smiling, and thoroughly enjoying this cigar. And when you can park your, you know, thinking about smoking or a cigar and all of that, you can really appreciate that they were basking and enjoying the generosity of the offer and the exchange between them. It was just such grace, and everybody was affected by this exchange. It had this contagion and this pervadedness about it that was so exquisite and so heartwarming. And it was simple. When you really boil it down, it was just a guy giving another guy a cigar. But if you were looking for the subtle ways that metta is a part of just kind of ordinary life, you too might be able to sense in to these small but great ways, this ordinary but extraordinary ways that we're touched by the simple gestures of kindness through this form. So let's sit for just a couple of minutes with that. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings without exception. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.